Welcome to Eurodal University. My name is Emil Kalinowski. I'm joined by Jeff Snyder, the head of global research for Alhambra Investments. Jeff, we're going to be talking about the Chinese trade surplus, but because this is Eurodal University, we're going to learn that actually it's not trade that drives global capital flows or the value of a currency. It's finance, right? There's a current account, which includes the trade between nations, and then there's a capital account. And we often worry about what's happening in the trade account. We never hear in the financial press, oh, there's a capital account deficit or anything like that. No, the politicians are worried about the trade account. But I think it's reversed, isn't it, Jeff? The primary concern, the one that drives everything, the one that stirs the drink is the financial account, isn't it? Yeah. And the financial account, as the euro dollar system goes, is the one that we see or hear or do nothing about because it's the one that's deep in the shadows, the one that, that's really hidden. We've talked about this before, and it's the subject we got to come back to over and over again, is that, you know, yes, we can see sometimes when U.S. banks lend dollars to Tokyo, for example, that shows up on the tick data. Or we can see when U.S. banks borrow dollars from Europe, that shows up on the tick data too, as well as other places. We can also see when foreigners use U.S. dollars to buy various assets around the world. We never really see the whole system. If there's a bank in the Cayman Islands that's lending dollars to a bank in Singapore, for example, that doesn't show up anywhere. So we have a huge amount of this global reserve currency system that just does not show up, at least in terms of hitting some kind of data tape somewhere. And so we have a pretty substantial job ahead of us trying to figure out what's going on in the whole global reserve currency system, which includes not just financial flows, but also trade flows. That's why we, we use the analogy of the black hole, right? Because we can't observe black holes directly, but we know they're there because of how things interact with it and how they move around it and the effects that it creates on other objects. And that's really what we're trying to do here is that we know that the euro dollar system as a whole is we can't really observe it directly because of how it's developed over the last half century. So we try to figure out how things are behaving in response to changes in the euro dollar system in the same way you might uh, look at stars orbiting around a black hole. That's right. The light entering a black hole, we can't see the black hole, but we can see the light, just how we can see the widgets that China sends over, the cars. We can define them easily and we can count them, but we can't define identify, let alone measure or map something like money or a black hole or dark energy or dark matter. And yet, apparently, scientists tell us that this is what matters. Physicists, not monetary scientists. That's why we're here, Jeff. For the audience that wants to read the lyrics to this song sheet and sing along, maybe a karaoke, an economic karaoke bar somewhere out there, they can read from the same hymn sheet by going to the Alhambra Investments blog post and going and looking for a title that begins with the following, China's total dollar equation. CNY minus trade flows equals some sense of the euro dollar problem. And that was posted on the 9th of February, 2022. Okay, quote, in the earliest days of the euro dollar, its purpose was primarily as a global reserve medium to intermediate and finance trade. So the euro dollar was first there to finance trade. It was to surmount Triffin's paradox, and it was a ledger system. Just a quick one-on-one, Jeff. 
What was Triffin's paradox? What was the ledger system? Just to define our words for everyone. Yeah, Bretton Woods, 1944, U.S. dollar, British pound reserve currencies backed by national stores of gold. Robert Triffin realized somewhere along the way that, hey, this isn't going to work because a global economy that became increasingly globalized, which meant trade moving back and forth in a way that had never happened in human history, had to be financed and greased by the monetary system to provide a sufficient amount of currency in order to intermediate these various national systems. But that would never work using a national currency, especially backed by national reserves of gold, because the world required more currency then there would be national stores of gold to back that currency. And eventually what happened in the U.S. in the 1950s, U.S. dollars started to go outside the United States in more and more quantities, which meant certain parts of the world, France in particular, started to redeem those higher levels of dollars for U.S. gold reserves, which meant in the late 50s in particular, U.S. gold reserves started to disappear in alarming quantities, which was exactly what Robert Triffin was talking about. Eventually there would be that natural tension where the whole thing would break down. The question was, how did we solve Triffin's paradox? And the answer is the answer that nobody knows, which is this euro dollar system, which said, we're not gonna use physical currency. We're not gonna use gold at all. We're just gonna keep track of who owes what. I mean, it's cumbersome to, to send physical currency around the world, to wait for shipments of cash to be transferred by airplane with armed guards and things like that. Why not just send a telex message across the world saying, I owe you this amount of money. You can credit me. We'll just do a book entry. So it became a ledger money system that basically solved Triffin's paradox because it put global banks at the center who were involved in this merchandise trading to begin with. And they simply just kept track of who owed what. And it obviously I'm oversimplifying and became very much, much more complicated from there. But by and large, the breakdown of Bretton Woods opened the door for a ledger money system to take advantage of telecommunication, in particular innovations that allowed instantaneous, almost instantaneous settlement. It's a beautiful solution. We don't have enough currency backed by gold. Therefore, I'll send you a promise that I can get that currency backed by gold should you ever want it. And then eventually it wasn't backed by gold. And sometime in the 1980s, you're saying, or is it the 1960s? When was the transition from this euro dollar system to finance and intermediate globalization, trade, the rebuilding of the world? to primarily a financial flows system where we now had to deal with hot money and foreign direct investment. That was what was primarily driving the global monetary system, not trade. Yeah, if you build a network of you know, monetary communication and settlement processes, this fictional currency, this euro dollar, this ledger money system for the purposes of directing merchandise trade all over the world, Obviously, you have that infrastructure available to do other things that a reserve currency could do, which, as you just said, Emil, includes financial flows, right? You want, you're in the United States and you want to invest in buying, building a factory in Vietnam, for example, that use the U.S. dollar or the euro dollar system to do so. So eventually, at some point, probably you know, throughout the 1960s, but it really started to show up in the 1970s, eventually the Latin debt crisis and things like that. So financial flows somewhere in the early days, but not the earliest days, somewhere in the 60s and 70s, financial flows started to overtake the merchandise trade end of things. So that by and large, this reserve currency was about moving cash around the world for other reasons that not necessarily tied to, you know, global trade. You said moving cash, but that was a misstatement, right? They weren't moving cash. 
They were moving promises. Ledger cash, book okay. entries, right? You know, that's when we get late, late 1960s, early 1970s. You have the development of Swift. We move away from, you know, telex messages into more of a computerized digital technology, direct digital computer, computer settlement processes. So the integration of telecommunication with a cashless ledger system was it really took off in the late 60s and really the 1970s, which allowed for, again, not just merchandise trade flows, but actual financial flows all over the world. And you're right, Emil, it's not cash. It's fictional cash. It's virtual cash. It's ghost money. I always forget the second author. But in the early 1980s, we had a couple of researchers, Duffy and who was it? Duffy and Giddy. They put names to these promises, to this fictional cash and this ghost money. Names that we know of now, swaps and so forth. But there were many others. And they said, this is what's moving around. And Jeff, before we get to the Chinese trade flow of present day for our audience, there's one last little background thing that we want to talk about. And that's that all this was taking place offshore. You're saying since euro dollar money is by definition offshore. So again, just to make sure everyone's keeping with us. What do you mean by offshore? Now, I think most of us would think of an island, Hong Kong, Singapore, <laughs> the Cayman Islands. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? In the heart of London, uh, in the heart of New York City, other places, uh, Nevada and Delaware can be offshore too. So tell us what you mean by offshore. You're right. You know, London was the primary center as well as, you know, places in Switzerland. There was a money center, a U.S. euro dollar center in Montreal, for example. We talk about Japan and Tokyo all the time because obviously Asian center there. You're right. Offshore doesn't necessarily refer to physical geographic location. It's more of a regulatory term, right? It means you may be located in London, the city of London, the actual ancient city of London that's its own separate corporation. But the rules in London are that if your clients are all outside of London or outside the UK, you can pretty much do whatever you want. So offshore refers to outside the United States primarily, but really outside of the regulatory framework of pretty much anywhere. So that's why we say offshore, euro dollar means offshore, which means offshore of pretty much everywhere. It doesn't matter where you're located. You're operating in sort of a wild west sort of situation where, you know, governments, central banks, regulatory authority is kind of uh, best a gray area. Yeah, here in the Cayman Islands, we have a special economic zone where the regulations are much easier and you can set up a business much simpler than you can onshore. But the key is none of your customers can be local Cayman residents. It has to be all outward facing. I have a couple of questions here. So you say that since euro dollar money is by definition offshore, now we know what that means, the amount of money, quote unquote, flowing through it isn't dependent upon the U.S. trade deficit because banks were creating promises. So you didn't need currency. You didn't need the U.S. doing anything. It was just that bank's promise. Do you trust that bank and the people who substantiate and stand behind that bank to deliver the dollar? So it wasn't necessarily having to do with the U.S. trade deficit. But here's the part I don't understand. So isn't dependent on the U.S. trade deficit semicolon, that offshore euro dollars are merely a byproduct of the U.S. sending dollars overseas because America imports so much more than it exports. I don't get that last part. There are some people out there who recognize that there is a global dollar system, that there are these things called euro dollars, and they've surmised 
missing this, this financial end of it, that this euro dollar must be a, a byproduct of the U.S. trade deficit, mm-hmm. that the U.S. exports U.S. dollars. And that's where the world gets its dollars from. It's very 19, pre-1950 thinking where we actually move physical currency around based on these merchandise flow. Even back then, there was more ledger entries than actual physical cash being moved. But, but by and large, the theory here is that the U.S. exports dollars as it imports goods. As long as we have a merchandise deficit, that means that more dollars are leaving the U.S. to pay for those goods than are coming back in terms of what we export to the rest of the world. So that's where all of these dollars come from. And then, therefore, the the primary function or the primary factor driving global dollar availability would be the U.S. merchandise trade deficit. The more we import over export, the more dollars go outside the world. Therefore, there's more dollars outside the world. And as we just went over, Emil, that's not how it works. That's not really how it works at all, because the dollars are already offshore to begin with. They're created and destroyed for largely financial considerations, often independent of the merchandise trade situation in any of these countries. And that's really the, the point of the exercise here is to go through the, the specifically the Chinese example to see if we can put together some sense of what's going on in the hidden shadow part of the euro dollar system, given what we know of in the merchandise situation for both the U.S. and China. The U.S. exporting dollars, and that's where the global dollars come from? The answer is no. That's only a small part of the situation because financial flows, the offshore part of the system, the creation function that's offshore, took precedence a very, 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 very long time ago. I heard that it took precedence 100 years ago. At the turn of the last century, that's what I heard. That was Michael Pettis' claim. And I believe he was referencing economists at the turn of the last century saying, yeah, it's now being driven primarily by finance, not trade. But you want to have a discussion about bankers acceptances that we can do a whole show on that. You know, the early history of ledger and uh, paper cash and things like that, they're derivatives of physical cash. I mean, we talk about the euro dollar system, which is really the last step in the evolutionary process, but this, this stuff goes back a long time in history. I love it. Ledger money, as we talked about before, ghost money goes back, you know, to the 14th and 15th century. So we're, we're talking about ancient techniques of doing money that just, they've been given a modern gloss and wrapped up in modern communications technology, but the principles are all the same. Delightful. Really is nothing new under the sun. Okay, Jeff, we are now going to segue into a hard example, concrete example. We're going to be talking about the Chinese trade surplus, so exports greater than imports. And we're going to be comparing that surplus to the Chinese currency because we want to get a sense of the trade flows, which are easily, more easily measured, and the financial flows, which are not easily measured. And we're going to use the Chinese currencies exchange value to the U.S. dollar as a proxy or maybe a sum total of a three variable equation to kind of back into what the financial flows may be doing. Now, I think everyone knows that China's trade surplus is setting records right now. They're killing it. Exports over imports. Fantastic. Not really. We'll get into, I don't even think we'll get into that right now. That's another discussion, but it's, it's not necessarily healthy or fantastic to have a persistent trade surplus. That means there's an imbalance in the economy. We won't talk about that. Before we dive into that, Jeff, do we need to know what the money illusion is? Because you reference it here just before we start the Chinese discussion. And then at the end of your article, do we need to know what that definition is? No, it's not material for the discussion. We okay. talked about it before. It's the fact that prices go up despite the fact that you know export volumes may not be as nearly as good 
But in this context, it doesn't matter. If the Chinese are getting more dollars per unit in export, that means they're getting more dollars. So for our purposes, we can just set that aside. Jeff, we're going to be looking at a chart that goes from 2014 to present day. We're going to talk about what happened in 2014, 2017, 2018, 2020, 2021. Trade surplus, the Chinese currency. I tried to explain it to the audience. Now you tell them what we're going to be doing step by step, year by year. Well, go back to 2013, 2014. The Chinese currency, CNY, made a, a very prominent inflection right at the start of 2014. So we have falling currency into 2014, which suggests dollar outflows. Yet we know from the Chinese trade statistics, as well as their counterparts from around the world, the Chinese were importing or exporting goods and importing U.S. dollars by the bushelful. In fact, up to that point, it was record high trade surplus for China. So lots of trade merchandise dollars coming into China, yet weak currency. Not only do we know that there was weak currency, we also know from other data sources such as China Safe, as well as the PBOC's balance sheet, that dollars were disappearing from both of those at a breathtaking pace. Dollar flows from merchandise into China by huge amounts, yet still China's currency weak and dollars disappearing from the Chinese official balance sheet as well as the foreign exchange. So financial flows must have been exceedingly negative. Outflows. Outflows, which is not outflows in the historic sense that cash moved from China back to the United States. It was the euro dollar system, this offshore financial system withdrawing funding availability from Chinese hands which meant that the dollars were simply destroyed in some fashion. Now, in this particular instance, 2014 through 2016, we could look to the foreign exchange holdings, the reported totals from the PBOC or SAFE, and we could see, yes, yes, they're disappearing, being extinguished, a trillion dollars worth-ish went away. But now as we're moving forward, we're not going to see that. We're just going to see relative stability all throughout while the surf not re- relative stability, you're being very kind here. It's it's ridiculous stability. It's so little volatility that it's absolutely artificial. And of course, we've raised that question many times before. Why would they bother? You know, what's the purpose behind a straight line sideways? To hide something, perhaps bad news. That's what I always do. Okay, 2017, 2017 now. So the merchandise surplus failed to rebound. You're saying. But the CNY went higher and we can see that. It seems like we saw the surplus rising, rising, rising into 2016, then a little bit lower, lower, but stabilized. 2017, just stable or slightly down, but the currency is surging. So the, what, what is that? Where is this? Why would it be surging? Well, it's either financial flows were tremendously positive, which I don't think so that was the case, or there's some form of intervention there on the part of Chinese authorities. And, you know, back then we discussed, uh, you know, Hong Kong bypass and all sorts of other possibilities we don't need to get into here. But just by and large, what we saw in 2017 was CNY rebounded. It wasn't really the trade flows that justified that rebound in the currency. So there's some hint of at least positive direction for financial flows, even though if we're not really sure about what the, what the level would have been. Now, that corresponds to something known as globally synchronized growth, the reflation after the third regional global dollar shortage that we had. And this was globally synchronized growth. It was the recovery. So it makes sense. The currency is rising. Okay, that corresponds. 
Now, uh, right in 2018, the beginning of 2018, the mainstream financial press did not know that we had begun the fourth global dollar shortage or regional dollar shortage. We wouldn't know how it would develop, but we knew it was afoot. We saw that in the Chinese currency. It started to lose value while the trade surplus was constant, even unchanged, not growing or falling too much. Slightly worse, right? I mean, the trade surplus got a little bit less, which meant there were fewer trade dollars moving into China. It wasn't a huge change. But it was, you know, there was no merchandise support Mm. in the way that there had been in 2014 and 2015. So there was no trade inflow. There's no dollar inflows from the trade surplus, no additional dollar inflows from the trade surplus right in 2018, which may explain why the Chinese currency just absolutely collapsed almost all at once. In a way, it hadn't back in 2014 and 2015. Chinese currency just basically sank because I think what we can show you here is that there was no merchandise support underneath the dollar or underneath the Chinese system once the euro dollar financial flows must have turned decidedly negative. That's really the point here is that Chinese currency got a lot weaker. We can infer from that the financial flows reversed, however much they might have been in 2017. They were not there in 2018. There was no additional merchandise surplus to help cushion that blow. So by necessity, unless the Chinese were willing to spend their reserves to support the currency, to support the dollar system, which they didn't, the currency just utterly collapsed. Post-Covidica, post-Bubonic, Captain Trips, the recovery, it makes complete sense. We see the surge in both the surplus and the currency. So we're, we're okay with that, right, Jeff? Yeah, so 2020... Currency starts to go up at better than a 45 degree angle. Chinese, the CNY getting stronger against the dollar, which is reflationary. It's dollar inflows. We see from the Chinese data as well as U.S. data, there's merchandise flows, merchandise based dollar flows into China in a historic level in 2021. And probably some some form of financial inflows as well as the economy seemed to get better from the 2020 recession. So all that stuff in 2020 makes perfect sense. We've got positive merchandise dollar flows. We've got the hints and allegations of positive financial flows. And so we've got, you know, Chinese currency going up at a better than 45 degree angle. But then something changes in 2021, right in January 2021, where the Chinese currency no longer going up in an unbroken line. In fact, it's been mostly sideways to slightly higher for over a year now. But at the same time, the Chinese a merchandise trade surplus has gone to an even greater high. In fact, it's all-time highs well above where it had been in 2014 and 2015. So we're missing something here, right? If Chinese currency is no longer ascending at the same pace it was in 2020, yet merchandise-based dollar flows into China are at enormous levels, what must that tell us about financial flows with regard to China? And you correlate or corroborate your suspicions that maybe the financial flows into China are not as strong as they were before during 2020 with a couple of graphs, one from Japan, the distribution center for China from Tokyo. And we can see that in November, there was a little bit of a turndown that we haven't recovered from. And then you you double down on that by showing a similar downturn from my neck of the woods the Caribbean. Yeah, I'm blaming you for that, Emil. I mean, it's obviously you're pulling the strings here from your palatial beachfront lair. Where we, yeah, what we see is that, you know, 
something changed in the dollar system right around the same time as the Chinese currency system changed. We see it in Japan and Caymans, which are these offshore hidden monetary redistribution nodes across the financial network that is the offshore euro dollar system. So these things are consistent. The part that's inconsistent is the massive amount of Chinese merchandise surplus, which is providing dollars through that channel, but yet not leading to the same kind of outcomes that you would expect if exporting dollars is the way the system actually is supposed to work. You finish off the article with a couple of implications, one and two. What happens if the euro dollar financial pressure outflows from China proves to be yet another of the same type of global monetary cycle as those prior? What happens specifically in and to China if maybe when exports begin to normalize as a consequence of activity decelerating, along with potential for prices to perhaps simultaneously reduce the money illusion associated with them? Summarize for us, Jeff, just looking forward, what should we be thinking about with the Chinese currency and the global euro dollar system? If we're correct and the indicated financial flows are a problem, in 2021, if they continue into 2022, that could lead to further knock-on effects, including the Chinese conserving their dollar resources by importing less from around the rest of the world. And if the export situation for China becomes even less favorable as U.S. American consumers start to buy fewer goods from China around the rest of the world, too, because 2021 was an artificial high based on a lot of other factors, there's fewer merchandise surplus dollars flowing into China, in addition to what might be a continued problem in the financial flows too, which can create all sorts of global economic and financial headwinds. Excellent. Thanks, Jeff. And for the audience, if they want to learn more, they can go to the Alhambra Investments blog post and see all your articles there and get a free education. It's fantastic. Thanks for sharing with us, Jeff. All right, Emil, take care.